0: Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and we're doing something a little different today. We are talking about a cookbook with author Julia Tertian, who is the best selling cookbook author of Small Victories, Feed the Resistance, and Now and Again. She hosts the podcast KeepCon and she hosts the podcast keep calm and cook on and has written for many publications she's the founder of equity at the table an inclusive digital directory of women and non-binary individuals and food she lives in the hudson valley with her wife and pets and her latest cookbook is simply julia 110 easy recipes for healthy comfort food welcome
1: thank you so much for having me i'm so excited and i'm so especially thrilled um to bring a cookbook to your show so thank you
0: (laughs) julia tell me about healthy comfort food and how that's not an oxymoron as we're taught to believe
1: (laughs) you know i am so delighted I think that's the right word, delighted and proud to have written a book with healthy recipes that have nothing to do with weight loss. This is a book that has everything to do with having just a healthy relationship to cooking and eating. And for me, the healthiest I feel is when I am my most comfortable, you know, and vice versa and most comforted too. So to me, the two words have so much to do with each other, healthy comfort. I like pairing them together. And it's definitely what I explore throughout every, you know, recipe and just reflection inside the book.
0: Yeah, it's, we're we're taught to feel guilty about Mm -hmm. being comfortable.
1: I think that both healthy and comfort food, those words together or apart, (laughs) they bring up (laughs) a lot. Like they're really charged, right? Like I think healthy has often been used as a synonym for skinny, even though they don't mean Mm -hmm. the same thing. I think comfort has often been used as a synonym for lazy or fat Mm -hmm. or I don't know, any of these things. And those aren't all necessarily the same thing. And I don't know. There's nothing negative about fatness. You know, I think this is a book that is very just pushes up against diet culture and fat phobia and all of these things in a way that I just hope is really warm and welcoming and friendly and non-judgmental. You know, healthy and comfort both bring up so much judgment, so yeah. much criticism. Um whether it's of ourselves or each other and you know this book really just doesn't permit that in its pages
0: I love that and 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 it really comes through and you have personal essays in in this cookbook (laughs) and one of them is about how you used to have two binary emotions you say happy or fat
1: Mm -hmm. and for
0: all we are told that fat isn't a feeling it's very easy to look at what the culture is saying and make the word fat into anything bad that's bringing you down.
1: Yeah, this essay to me was incredibly important for me just to write personally. Um, It went through many, many drafts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the process of making this essay, making this book involved just a lot of work on myself that I continue to do and work on understanding that this work I'm doing on myself a lot of it is because of things much larger than me that have nothing to do with me, like systems and institutions and um, long legacies of of diet culture and so on. So yeah, the essay is very much about how I had this like light bulb moment one day, like, you know, I described it as like the feeling of like a splash of cold water on my face, like Mm -hmm. this big, like, whoa moment. Which was, I realized, I had only ever felt two things: happy or fat. I had limited my emotional range to two things. One of which is not a feeling, just nope. as you said, fat is not a feeling, and that is not something I really understood because I grew up speaking the language of diet culture, and I grew up, you know, with plenty of people who, if I said, "Oh, I feel so fat," they would say, "Oh, me too." <laughs> you know, yeah. that was the conversation, and it for me was very much about when I met my wife Grace, who very much encouraged me to pause and when I would say that she would say I don't understand because I wasn't describing a feeling I was saying I felt something that wasn't a feeling and so she would say can you tell me what you're feeling and I had no idea what I was feeling (laughs) and I you know really just was shocked by that and startled and also I think within that shock was a little bit of excitement like oh there's potential here to learn more so one of the things I did, which I described in the essay, was I bought this poster <laughs> that I have yes. up on my wall. It's actually right behind me. Um, I know people can't see, but anyway, <laughs> it's right here. I want you to know that it continues to be my life. And this is a poster that probably many people have seen. It's in like most elementary school classrooms. And it's 16 different um, feelings, each you know described with a word like embarrassed or sad or excited or whatever. And next to each word is the image of a child's face depicting what this looks like. And so whenever I had the thought like, oh, I feel so fat, which was a word I was using to describe anything other than happy, Mm -hmm. which is such a disservice to that word. um, I would just go stand in front of the poster and try and figure out what I'm feeling. I still do this all the time. It's been really, really helpful. And in terms of speaking to you and thinking about the kinds of conversations you have, you know, this is about language. <laughs> you know, this is about vocabulary. And this is about having words to identify these human just experiences and feelings and emotions. And it was really, really important to me to include this topic, um, this conversation in the book, because I think many cookbooks, and I feel like I can say this, because I think I've done it in the past in previous cookbooks, I think sometimes we underestimate our readers, we think they're just coming to get recipes. And, I feel like if you're interested in a cookbook, you're interested in food in this really meaningful way. Like you're willing to spend some extra time and money to you know, learn about someone's experience and their ideas and you know all these other things. So for me in a book that's about healthy food, it was very very important to really get into these words and these definitions.
0: The world is racing to get back to normal and start meeting up in person again but after the year we've all had, getting back to feeling normal takes time. As much as I've loved reconnecting with old friends, my social anxiety is through the roof these days, I must confess. I'm really good at reaching out to friends when I'm feeling down, but they can't always give me the advice I need. Getting unbiased feedback and advice from a licensed professional can be refreshing and rewarding. We all need help sometimes. More than 50% of Americans struggle with their mental health and asking for support when you need it is actually a sign of strength. The Talkspace app makes it easy to connect with your licensed therapist on your schedule without having to wait weeks before your next appointment. You can go anywhere and you can take your therapist with you. Whether you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or any other problems, Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform to help you sort through any issue. Start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code MARISREVIEW. That's $100 off when you use code MARISREVIEW at Talkspace.com. I I have noticed this about many, many people I admire, that we know what the culture is. We know that there are forces way beyond our control that makes us feel bad about our bodies and judgmental about other people's bodies. And Mm -hmm. yet it's still there. It's still there to be wrestled with just all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. (laughs) You know, diet culture is the culture we live in, you know, across definitely this country and many parts of the world. And I feel like it's oppressive and, you know, it's messages come in so many forms, some very clear and overt, like, I don't know, words on certain packages of food or or cookbooks for that matter. Um, And some of it really subtle and, and I think therefore like a little bit manipulative and we don't even realize it's happening. And it's just so common and understood You know, I grew up never knowing fat wasn't a bad thing. It just was a given. And it's taken so much for me to sort of learn this new language. But most of all, it's taken so much energy to unlearn all the things I did learn, you know. And so I feel like because it comes from everywhere, this oppressive, judgmental, stigmatizing message that's very tied to, you know, capitalism and racism and all of these things, you know, at the end of these messages are usually people trying to sell us something yeah. <laughs> and and who are profiting on us feeling like there's something wrong with us. Um, So I'll get off my capitalism soapbox for a second. <laughs> just to say, you know, if these messages are coming from everywhere, I just think it's really important to push against them from everywhere too. There's like academic books about this that are so important. There's studies about this that are so important. And I also think normalizing a message about, pushing against diet culture in something as familiar as a cookbook, you know, using that form feels really important too, because I think cookbooks are brought into people's homes and lives in ways other books and other types of media aren't always welcomed. Um, You know, people embrace them and I, you know, I I like to joke that there are books that, you know, they're always going to end well. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's something very friendly about cookbooks. And I think within that, there's just a lot of potential and power to sort of weave in a lot of messages into this kind of day-to-day thing, which is, you know, what we cook and eat at home.
0: And you you have this whole vibe that <laughs> is welcoming and accessible. And I I, I love how you mentioned that um, food can be, and often is for you, something that relieves your anxiety. Mm-hmm. For other people, cooking is something that makes them very anxious. I'm not <laughs> naming any names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I'm i so glad you're bringing this up because it's, it's another big part of the book. Because for me, mental health is absolutely a part of... Mm-hmm. of our health. um, And it extends to healthy cooking and eating. And so another thing I, you know, spent a little time exploring was my own mental health and what the intersection has been between my lifelong chronic anxiety and cooking. Um, Yeah. Basically outside of my kitchen, I am worried about everything. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I, I am a deeply anxious person It's something I'm constantly um, working through with different types of therapy and medication and all sorts of other helpful things. And the one thing that has been like a constant grounding force in my life is cooking. And when I'm in my kitchen, not only do I feel my least anxious, I feel so many positive things. I feel confident, you know, it's not like every time I cook, I think I'm going to make the best thing in the world. I just trust that I can figure out whatever happens. And that feels really good. I also feel really present, you know, yes. I'm dealing with things like sharp knives and fire. <laughs> like I need to pay attention. <laughs> and when I'm present, I find it really hard to be anxious. You know, for me, when I'm anxious, I'm thinking about something that already happened and I'm, you know, thinking through other ways it could have happened or yes, I'm worried yes. about what might happen. So when I'm present, it's harder for those things to coexist, which I really just appreciate. And I, I don't know, I feel like calm and usually I'm having fun. I'm listening to music. Like it's this really relaxed place, my kitchen. And I know for so many people, it's the opposite. you know, when it comes to cooking a meal or being in the kitchen, that is where so many people experience the most stress in their homes. So I feel like someone who has deep empathy for anyone who feels anxious in any way. Mm -hmm. And knowing that the kitchen is this place where I haven't felt anxious. Like, I just want to share everything. I know (laughs) everything I could possibly share to help alleviate some of that stress and anxiety, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're just making dinner. <laughs> like <laughs> it's gonna be fine. But also we're making dinner. That's like a really important thing. That's part of our day-to-day life. Like I wanna enjoy it and celebrate it. So that's part of the anxiety piece. I think another part of it is that cooking and the kitchen have given me a way to connect with people. Yeah, you know, more easily than anything else in my life. Like I find it way easier to, you know, invite someone over for a meal than to just invite someone over to just like hang out (laughs) like that feels awkward to me and it also gives me a way to disconnect because sometimes Mm -hmm. you know I'm thinking particularly in sort of the quote-unquote before times like holidays and stuff when you know my home is full of family and friends and people I love so much and I want to be around but sometimes it feels a little (laughs) overwhelming to me and so I will do something like say I'm gonna go you know get dessert ready but even though i made dessert yesterday and it's it's ready <laughs> it's you know sometimes so the funny. kitchen can give you that place to step away which i think is also really valuable
0: i i love that um <laughs> I, has has your message the that message in your cookbook um hit differently um, because of the pandemic like I, I just I feel like I know so many people who are cooking more than they ever have and mm-hmm. at home more than they ever have and they're either loving it or not so much
1: yeah. <laughs> You know, I can say for for myself, you know, I've cooked at home every day for many years. My wife mm-hmm. and I live in a very rural area. We've both worked from home forever. Like our lives are very well suited for a pandemic, which is not something we ever knew <laughs> <laughs> until, you know, we've continued to live through and um And that said, even though I'm someone who loves food, who's loved it my whole life, who loves cooking, I often get sick of cooking at home and Mm -hmm. this is my passion. I also own a dishwasher. I have a station wagon. I can put groceries in like cooking is very easy for me. You know, it is the place where I feel confidence and joy and all these things. And yes, I get burnt out from it. So I can only imagine, you know, if, if you don't have one of those things I have, or if you have you know, additional people in your home, like young children, (laughs) you know, I really, I really get it. So I think the message, it's an interesting question. I think the message about the sort of social anxiety piece, I think that definitely does hit differently because I think we aren't gathering in the way we once were or the way well, we're we brooding will, on again. on the
0: possibility of
1: gathering yes <laughs> exactly yeah. but I think the message of the sort of relentlessness of home cooking which is mm-hmm. something I very much acknowledge in the book mm-hmm. I think that is definitely hitting <laughs> um I've heard from a lot of people who just say like thank you for saying that out loud in a cookbook um and again, I go back to like not underestimating my reader and valuing their time and their experience. And I think cookbooks tend to have a way of, of making a lot of people feel less than, you know, like, oh, my food doesn't look like how it looks in the picture. Or is this how we're supposed to be cooking? Is this how everyone is making dinner? Like that kind of feeling. I just basically, I don't want anyone feeling less than on my account if I can be conscious of that so yeah and,
0: and yeah you 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 provide shortcuts things that i would you know i haven't seen in many other cookbooks for sure like using canned foods or frozen foods and that's okay
1: it is totally okay and i just really believe that you know when we're cooking meals at home like we don't have to be a hero <laughs> But I also feel like home cooks are heroes. (laughs) So I feel both those things at the same time. But I mean, whatever, we can call ourselves whatever we want. But I just think cooking meals every day, I keep referring to dinner, but, you know, I'm talking about breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, everything. (laughs) And I just feel like we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. We don't have to make everything from scratch every time. I think, you know, doing whatever we can do to make this activity sustainable for ourselves Yeah, is valuable. And I think it's worth mentioning, like, you know, it's why I love frozen spinach. (laughs) I really love it. Whenever I buy fresh spinach, which I love, and I love my local farmers, and I try to buy it from them. But it's also like takes a lot of time to wash all that dirt off. It takes a lot of spinach to cook down to I just you know a like good a amount
0: of <laughs> yeah. left
1: over. Like- i i've cooked for years and to this day it continues to just amaze me how where much spinach raw spinach i know <laughs> <laughs> i'm always shocked so you know sometimes i'll do that with you know a lot of appreciation for it and sometimes i grab the frozen spinach and you know i throw it into something where it's going to cook and you know shrink down anyway and I just feel like my kitchen and my cookbook. There's room for both of these things.
0: Yeah. Um, and 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 I read that um, you were beginning to work on this cookbook when the pandemic broke out. Yeah. And and so you even found a different way to go through the process of of, of making this cookbook, shooting it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I turned in the first draft of the manuscript, which, you know, for a cookbook is, I mean, like any book, it's all the words, it's, it's the recipes, it's the introductions to the recipes. It's, you know, some of these essays we've discussed, but none of the images, which are a big part of, of at least this cookbook and, Mm -hmm. you know, many others. So I turned that in, in February of 2020. And I was planning to do, Um, like a week-long photo shoot at my house, which is how I have created the images for my previous cookbooks. I've had a team of people um, staying with me. We turn our house into Camp Cookbook. My wife um, is very supportive and, (laughs) you know, lets me run with this um, and supports me to run with it. And yeah, I was planning to do that in like the middle of March 2020. And, you know, that quickly just became, you know, not something that was going to happen and Mm -hmm. wasn't safe and also was completely inessential. (laughs) Like it's a cookbook. It can wait. So I was going to just put it on the shelf and wait until, you know, we sort of figured out this sort of new normal. And then I remembered, I had the contact information for this really fantastic person, Melina Hammer, uh, who lives ten minutes away from me, which is I feel like worth pointing out because we live in a pretty random area, <laughs> yeah. um, with like not a very large population. And so Melina lives close by, and Melina is an incredibly gifted food photographer, food stylist, and prop stylist. it's It's rare to find two of those things in one person, let alone yeah. three. And the fact that she is so good at all these things has such a great eye such a great sensibility and she's my neighbor, <laughs> you right. know, it was like unbelievable. Like she's my, you know, unicorn in my mind. Um, so I called Melina and, you know, asked her how she was doing and, you know, what her bandwidth looked like. And I was like, maybe we can figure this out. Maybe we can do this in a way where we still feel really happy with the images, but we also, you know, can stay really safe. And so we did that. We figured it out and we made these photos in a way I've never made food photos before, which was, it was just the two of us, um, no extra assistance or support, um, you know, except for our really wonderful spouses who Mm -hmm. did lots of dishes. And, (laughs)
0: um,
1: and we were also never in the same room together. So I would prepare everything at home in my kitchen. I would pack it up in containers. I would put those containers in a box with a million (laughs) notes about, you know, the details of how I wanted the image to look. And the pictures in this book are very simple, but you know, simple things require a lot of thought (laughs) because you're not hiding behind anything. So details about which spoon I wanted, which napkin I wanted. And usually these are things that are very meaningful to me. That was like my grandmother's dish or something, Mm -hmm. things no one would know, but it just feels special to me. So I pack all these objects, all these notes into a box, all the food, I would drop it off on Melina's step (laughs) and she would take it from there. She'd put all the finishing touches on everything and we spent all day on, on text, <laughs> texting back and forth. Do you want the light blue napkin or the darker blue <laughs> napkin? Like, do you want two spoons or one? Like, and it required like an unbelievable amount of communication, like really direct, decisive communication, which I feel like was an amazing experience. Yeah. And it was, I don't know. We made it work. I don't know that either of us, I mean, I can't speak for her. I don't know that either of us would do it that way again. Like I don't think it was better. (laughs) Like I think, you know, it required a lot of energy Um, but we did it and it was a really wonderful collaboration. And, you know, on the logistic end of, of making a book, you know, I'm really thrilled that I was in a position where I could employ my neighbor for that period of time during such a stressful time, someone who's really creative and important to, you know, the community I'm a part of, like that felt really wonderful. So I don't know, we did it. And it also meant that I could keep the book on schedule, right? meaning it could come out when it did, which was um, March 2nd. So basically like, essentially like sort of the year anniversary of most people who are lucky enough to stay at home, um, you know, are cooking at home more than ever. So I feel like I got to spend, you know, the 12, the first 12 months, I guess, of the pandemic working on something that felt very useful and that makes me feel, I don't know, purposeful, which I just appreciate.
0: Absolutely. And and it's such a good example of um what I feel like is your philosophy which is improvise when you (laughs) when you're stuck or exactly and um that that's empowering in and of itself
1: Mm. no thank you for saying that yeah I mean that's such a big part of all my work but especially this book um I'm always giving ideas for variations and substitutions in the recipes. You know, I really believe in the flexibility of home cooks and, you know, we as home cooks are always taking other people's needs and desires into consideration. We're keeping a mental inventory of what's in our kitchens, in our freezers. Yeah. So I feel like home cooks, you know, we just, we do so much and, I just believe in the power of being flexible and recipes are just they're not prescriptions. They're they're jumping off points, they're suggestions. It's like a framework. And I think it's totally okay to, you know, sub in an ingredient or leave something out. You know, I am totally okay with that.
0: And I I love your wife, Grace plays such a big role in the book. And she's she's a part of everything from the recipe development to the testing to you considering her needs when you're cooking. And so she's type one diabetic, as am I. And it was really fascinating for me to see how you can adapt recipes to make lower carb foods, Mm. not to lose weight. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, Well, thank you for sharing that because I feel like that allows me to know that you really get it in a way I probably don't even get, you know, and for anyone listening who doesn't understand what I mean by get it, you know, I mean, you can speak to this better than I can, but what I've heard grace describe living with type one, it's you have a full-time job you never signed up for. (laughs) um, And you are constantly keeping track of everything you're consuming and you're working as a pancreas is <laughs> your own organ and that takes just a lot of attention to so many details and you know as the spouse of someone who lives with type 1 who seeks to be useful in everything i do as i just mentioned you know i it's it's you know it's a chronic illness i wouldn't wish on anyone but if if this is what my wife lives with i'm just grateful that there's a lot that i can do to support her and her body. Um, and that for me comes down to the kitchen and I can make some of her favorite comfort foods, you know, things like chicken cutlets and, um, you know, chicken noodle soup. (laughs) It's all chicken. Right.
0: Uh, Um, and I, my diabetic heart burst, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like what, yeah, I just use but you know what I
1: mean yeah (laughs) no but it really it be to be able to provide these things but in a way that is kind to her body um that makes her feel good that doesn't require extra math and insulin and all these things on her end it just it feels like just something I'm very grateful for
0: that that's so wonderful and I so now I'll tell you that like when I read about diet culture and all of the judgment and shame that goes along with it then you add how you manage your type 1 diabetes Mm -hmm. and all of the different ways you can fuck up (laughs) Mm -hmm. or eat the quote-unquote wrong thing and my head is just used to always be full of numbers and calculations Mm -hmm. um yeah it's so so reading your cookbook was coming and so thank you for that
1: that means so much to me to hear um i also apologize if you were hearing my dogs go crazy (laughs) i think we're getting a package right now okay (laughs) just i just want to name that sound if anyone is wondering um we're getting a package which causes them to celebrate I don't know (laughs) um and during such a like just thoughtful moment too of course that's when they bark um thank you for telling me that that means a lot to hear and I I don't know I I feel like from what I know of living with type one or I guess any illness or you know condition where you have to monitor things to literally keep yourself alive. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those messages are echoed in a really destructive way by diet culture. I just, it's very triggering. It's very confusing. Um, And I don't know that I have like an answer here and I know you're not asking me for one, but I just, I appreciate just hearing that the book gave you a feeling of calm. That really just means so much. So thank you. Yeah, they're
0: so interconnected something about judgment and and shame um one of the i want to um end by talking to you a bit about I, I read that um one of the ways that you are combating the diet culture narrative is that you watch fat babe pool party the episode <laughs> of the thrill, written by sam irby developed by lindy west and that really that tell me about that because it's it's a really life-changing scene
1: yeah um for anyone who hasn't seen it just please watch it um whatever type of body you live in i think it's worth watching basically it was the scene on a really wonderful episode of this television show um and a scene of exactly what you said it's the fat babe pool party it's a lot of um you know folks who identify i guess as both women and as fat mm-hmm. who are all at a big pool party and they are having so much fun and they are just together having fun yeah they're experiencing fat at the same time as happy and they are showing us all what that can look like and showing us what it is to just be together in our bodies without the judgment. I think we're all so conditioned to, and it was like a really profound experience for me to watch that, even though, you know, I feel like it's important for me to clarify, like, I do not live in a very fat body. I, I, many doctor standards and um you know the healthcare system and you know different clothing companies yeah I think would call me fat but I don't know I just I just want to clarify that I am not living in the most oppressed body um and for me as someone who doesn't know what that feels like but who does know what it feels like to be um you know, bullied and to be a bully to myself often, um, to watch that scene was incredibly emotional, um, and incredibly beautiful and a scene I've gone back to many times because it just makes me feel really happy to watch. And it also just reminds me of the incredible power of representation. And I feel like that's something that gets talked about so often which is great but it it's kind of like lost its meaning like yes. I feel like I say that word and people just like shut down um but to see you know your body or to see just other bodies you don't normally see reflected on something like a television television show or a cookbook whatever it is it's just it's really really powerful and I just think it's worth um remembering that so yeah
0: absolutely Julia, thank you so much. Before we go, would you like to recommend a couple of books for us?
1: Um, sure, and I will just say before I tell you those, just thank you so much. This was really meaningful, um, well, thank you. and I just really enjoyed our conversation. So some books I would like to recommend. Um, the one that i feel like i have been telling everyone in the world to read (laughs) is a book called what we don't talk about when we talk about fat written by aubrey gordon um who some people might know yes um aubrey wrote or i guess continues to write as your fat friend that's her like social media handle And she wrote anonymously, what's a hard word to say, anonymously, (laughs) (laughs) um, for many years. But then she came out with this book recently. And now we get to know more about her and even just her name. And that book is amazing. Um, Another book that has been very meaningful to me, um, especially on these topics, is a book called Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings, which basically examines the racism that's at the root of fat phobia. Um and then uh another book that is not related um exactly what we're talking about, but maybe tangentially, just I wanted to throw another cookbook into the pile.
0: Please.
1: Um, and that is a cookbook called Snacking Cakes. (laughs) And I love this cookbook. The recipes are fantastic. Um, it's, I think it's something like 50 cake recipes. I actually left my copy downstairs. I was going to have it in front of me right now. (laughs) I just can't remember the exact number. I think it's 50, but then there's like variations on each of them and they're all really simple to make. They require like one bowl and a spoon and like a baking pan, like no mixer or anything. Um, and it's just such a great cookbook I have been using it so much and I am the most critical cookbook reader because <laughs> I'm so <laughs> steeped in them you know it's like I feel like I've heard musicians talk about like they can't listen to a song without like picking it apart like I'm right. like that with a cookbook and I just love this one and I baked so many cakes out of it and I just really recommend it it's a great book
0: that's great thank
1: you so much yeah thank you so much this was a pleasure